Welcome to the 31st episode of the Most Serious Podcast. In today's episode, I talk to Mr. Arthur Root, who is the founder and CEO of Nostra.ai. Nostra.ai provides website content marketing services, which are powered by artificial intelligence. Nowadays, artificial intelligence or AI has just become a buzzword for most tech companies to use and say that they are powered by AI. Me and Arthur Root discuss this: that is this the reality, or are they just using it to make it more fancy? Mr. Arthur Root has a very diverse set of work experience. He has done jobs in many different industries and now has taken a full-time shift to entrepreneurship. We talk about his personal journey with entrepreneurship. We discuss artificial intelligence. We discuss raising funds for your businesses. We also talked about Web3 and all the cool things that it has to offer. Arthur Root also provided me a lot of clarity on the fields of venture capital. And in the end, we also discussed about Shark Tank. I hope you like the conversation today. Let's get into the episode now. I have got finally Arthur Root on the most serious podcast. He is your go-to guy when it comes to the topics of AI or financing or VC or all of the cool technology things that are happening around the world. Uh, I'm just hyping Arthur up for this conversation. Welcome to the most serious podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, that's that's a generous, uh, generous description of myself but i appreciate it the description about yourself and you know i love i love doing this to people you know whenever whenever you have someone from a specific field uh the the very basic question that comes in my mind right after seeing all the work that they've done and you know the jobs that they did the product that they're building now is what were you before all of this so as a kid who was arthur was it was he someone who was with his laptop in the corner of his class or was he a guy playing sports or, uh, you know, pulling pranks on his friends, things like that. Yeah. Well, all the above. I mean, I was a big athlete. I always loved sports. Um, you know, I played three sports in high school, won a bunch of awards, which was, you know, great. But I mean, if you go back to middle school, I was, you know, I was always selling something. Um, I had like, you know, selling socks on eBay I was selling, you know, candy out of my locker. I was breaking into the science lab to tinker around different things. Um, so, you know, all the above on that front. And then in high school, you know, I had an internship for a little bit and ended up just building softwares to automate my internship. Um, so I, I also loved computers and, you know, I mainly loved not, you know, I never fell in love with like programming just for the sake of programming, but really just like, the fact that I could just not have to work because I programmed my job or stuff like that. That's what really excited me was like, you know, down to my core, while I do work really hard, I like, I'm also a very, uh, I like to find the most efficient way to do things. And so I have yep. always loved software for that, for that reason. And that's the cool thing. That's, that's what I hear whenever I uh, do talk to people who are in the tech space, you know, and the most fascinating part that they find about technology and programming, certainly because I have also like, it's in my course and, you know, I've had my experience with programming and, uh, I, I tried my hands on web development. So, uh, what you get to know is like, uh, first of all, you also find a deeper understanding of building things and it's building things out of thin air. You're not laying bricks. You're not making designs or, you know, you're not, you're not an architect, but you're still building value. You're creating programs or you're creating applications that, that are just, that could be made just with you and a laptop and internet connection probably. And the second thing that, uh, that really helps people also identify like what they are interested in through programming is 
like the thing that you mentioned, right? So you're able to automate the tasks through programming and uh, that allows you to figure out, okay, this can be replaced with something for code, right? And then you can actually explore the creative part to it where you can say, okay, this could be automated. How do I make this more purposeful for the people that do end up using it? So I think that that's really cool. That's, that's the cool part about technology. And like when I was, when I was going through, uh, when I was going through your profile, you, you did, you have a very diverse set of professional experiences. Could you tell me about that? You've, you've done sales and marketing right now. You mentioned that you did an internship in software early on, and now you're building Nostra and we'll definitely come to Nostra in detail, but let's talk about the diverse work background that you have. Tell me all about it. Sure. Yeah. So I worked at a company called Castlet Health which was a healthcare transparency startup, probably one of the first healthcare technology companies ever in the world. Wow. And I had a great time there. Um, you know, I worked there for, for a bit of time and then um, ended up working at Comcast NBC, actually evaluating early stage healthcare products um, and, you know, helping the benefits team there, you know, source and look at them. Um, and, you know, that was an, another interesting, it was kind of like, all right, I was on the sell side, now I'm on the buy side. Yep. Um, and then took a 180 out of healthcare and into cybersecurity, where I, you know, worked on the, the marketing team over at um, Authority, which was sold to Symantec, uh, which was, you know, again, another uh, interesting experience for me um, and had a good time there. And then you know, moved over to Titan House, which was, you know, just a classic B2B SaaS uh, business selling databases and learned a lot or, you know, pretty much selling a database of, of people and learned a lot about, you know, constructing databases over there. Um, and then, you know, I was like, you know what, I don't really like working for other people. I'm not, it's not really <laughs> in my personality. Yeah. Um, and so I, I just started the business. Um, it was a travel company to begin with. The travel business, you know, quite frankly, was not good during the pandemic. It really, really, yeah. really killed all of our customers. Yeah. Um, and so I decided, hey, let's restart. Um, let's, you know, start interviewing new customer profiles. Found some unbelievably good rate customers who helped, you know, really shape the product and the, the vision of, of Nostra. And you know, kind of got into the building the business I am in now. Let, let me just go back to the point where you mentioned, you know, that fact during this uh, professional work experience that you were having and uh, you, you sense this realization of wait, hold, hold up. I don't like doing this stuff for the people. And, you know, if I mean, if I do end up putting this much amount of hours and uh, all the time and, you know, the effort that I'm giving in, why not just try something out for myself? Let's see how it goes. That that decision, I, I, I sometimes think that it certainly comes to most people, right? So I don't think that it's a, a very different realization, but I what I really think is unique is people following up on that realization. So I think people, you know, so you've done jobs, right? And I'm still a college student, but you must uh, relate to this that doing jobs, you certainly feel a moment when you, when you have to get up on Monday and you have to put in that shift, you think, well, why, why am I doing that? You know, I, I sh could, I could just quit and start something of my own, but that realization and then actually working on that realization and executing it, that's a whole different story. And you did that. So that's the most unique and the kind of difficult part that people don't tread on usually 
they keep thinking about i oh i'll do something of my own some day some day some day and that that some day never comes so was there a trigger to all of this like was there an event that happened or were you just like okay you know had enough of this let me just start tomorrow i quit i, I go all in yeah so this was um a moment that happened that's a really really good question and not many people know this about me but i had some family issues crop up and you know at the time i didn't realize that you know they triggered me into going in and kind of starting to pursue my own dreams okay. um and to you know spare everyone's privacy i won't go into too much detail but at the end of the day what i kind of realized was like what's the point of sleepwalking um you know i want this is what i want to do this is the type of life i want to live and if i don't just jump in and do it i'll never do it and so i just kind of took drastic changes um and and jumped in um and you know it's one of those things that i didn't realize it actually at the time um now i can only realize it when you kind of look at the timelines and you're yeah. like wait a second that is like you know this happened then 6 months later i'm doing this okay like that's a clear you know 1 plus 1 equals 2 yeah um and so yeah that you know it was really you know taking a step back um subconsciously i think you know and saying what do i really what really makes me happy mm. um and you know you think back to what i what did i do when i was in middle school and i had free time like that's what made me happy was like just starting businesses and yeah and thinking and being creative and you know kind of building momentum and and going uh and so that that's what made me happy and so i i did it um i just jumped in and did it do you feel that uh, that rekindling this entrepreneurship uh, spirit for you which you had like early on in middle school and then you kind of visit revisited it during your professional work experiences and all that so did you think that uh, this was more like emotion driven or uh, like taking that jump again you know coming back to that question and that jump is should that be emotion driven because sometimes people do end up falling into the trap of you know what this idea seems really cool let me just go all in and and it might sound rude but sometimes that's not the best decision that you should take for yourself but how does one actually because you you've done that entrepreneurship journey and you still are doing it at in some sense because i kind of sense that you've had a very diverse set of work experience also which allows you to get a like a wholesome perspective on this do you think that this decision of uh, should i pursue my entrepreneurial spirit or should i try to you know progress through my career eventually and then find out a point where i do uh, go back to my entrepreneurial journey so is that decision more emotion driven or is it like something that is very calculated and uh, pros and cons and swot analysis and all of that Yeah, well I can't speak to how other people should approach it, but for me it was purely uh it was a an emotion driven thing. It was like, all right, what do I like to do? Yeah. Um, you know, you can take kind of the I have a, a a venture capitalist on my cap table who says this like the male MBA, you know, approach which is to look at a market, be like, all right, here's a gap in the market and here's how I'm going to address it. Yeah. Um that that wasn't me i was more along the lines like hey, i'm going to start a company yeah. and i'm going to figure it out i don't know what it is but i need to start a company like right. that's what makes me happy which is just running businesses starting companies and having a drive to to make the hard decisions and to to really 
you know, get, get a team together and, you know, get, you know, motivate people and, you know, solve problems that, that are out there. So that, that was kind of mine, which is not, which it's, it's less of a, it's less of even a decision and more of just like, Hey, this is how I like to live my life. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, this is what I'm going to do. Um, whereas, you know, sometimes I do think that people run into trouble where it's like, Hey, I spent 20 years at X, Y, and Z. I think that this is a problem. I'm going to go start a business around it. And then when they've got to go fire their, you know, chief marketing officer, or they haven't, they're not able to raise money super quickly, or, you know, there's a HR issue or whatever. They just are like, Oh, let me just pack it up and, and go home. Um, that's not, you know, that, 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 that's, you know, sometimes you just, that, 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 that's going to, you're going to run into trouble if you don't actually have the passion to build a business. Now, some people have just like worked in corporate America and then they develop the passion to start a business, I'm sure. And then they go in. But I think that the number one thing is you have to be conscious that like, Hey, I want to go through the emotional roller coaster of starting a company. Yeah, making that conscious decision is also really important. I think if you are aware of uh, what you're expecting out of it, and if you actually don't bullshit yourself on, you know, starting a company is just me walking around as a boss and giving people orders. If you don't have that image, I think still you're making an aware decision, well-informed decision, but sometimes just people, you know, are delusional and things like that. But that that's a good perspective and a good take on it. Let's, uh, let's talk about AI, man. Uh, Let's talk about artificial intelligence. Nostra is certainly an, you know, AI driven company and correct me if I'm wrong. Sometimes I, I've been like reading this on Twitter and, uh, mostly everywhere that people use AI just to increase the fanciness in the name. And uh, I want to know the real perspective on this. And I know that you won't be able to call out names or things like that, but what, why do people do that? And what exactly is the deal with all, mostly all startups or, you know, new tech firms using AI powered, or this is AI driven technology. What's up with that? Well, I think the, we, we, so we're actually trying to think about this as well, which is because so many people have said that they're AI driven, it helps inspire confidence from customers, from investors, um, whether there's technology there or not. Um, Okay. They say they're AI driven because, you know, when they go to raise money, an AI company is valued at a higher rate than just a outsourced, you know, you know, marketplace or something like that, whatever it is. And so they say that they're an AI company, whether they have AI or not. Um, We don't fall into that bucket. We're actually an AI business that you couldn't run our business without AI. Um, So that's, that's kind of the distinction there. Um, and then, you know, we, we run into the issue now where there are a lot of businesses um, that there are a lot of businesses that have claimed to use AI in our space that didn't really use AI. Like they, they may have had, you know, very basic things in AI. Yeah. Um, and so when we talk to customers, they're like, oh, another AI marketing company. Yeah. And so we're trying to think about how do we position ourselves to, um, to be a business that, you know, how do we phrase what we're doing, you know, automatic conversions, you know, stuff like that, where we don't say AI, we explain the value that AI provides um, rather than saying AI, because it's a little played out, in my opinion, um, from a customer perspective. 
The other thing that I think about with AI is what is the purpose behind this? And so there are a lot of AI companies that, you know, I guess my core thesis behind AI and a business world is what can you use AI for that humans just weren't meant to do? Um, And they're just not good at. So you can use AI to improve and augment and improve human-driven tasks. And there will be plenty of big businesses built that are doing that. But I think that where you really, really start to get into an interesting business that has the potential to be gigantic is when you can use AI to, to do things, to automate tasks that humans weren't really meant to do. So for example, for Nostra, it's, hey, were humans really supposed to A-B test 12 million combinations of content? Does that really seem like a good use of humans' time to run stats on every single visitor? It's just not human. Like, if you had a million statisticians, sure, maybe you'd be able to do it, but, you know, that's not realistic. Um, So that, you know, I find that a more interesting um, business than something that a human could do, like writing copy, but AI is just doing it slightly faster. I think Mm -hmm. it's fine. I think that, you know, you look at, a lot of the GPT three companies, they're they're gonna do well, um, but it's just not as uh, for me, it's not as interesting of a of a problem space. I think the that's true, and you know what? Uh, this is a funny thing that I read on Twitter a couple of days back. So uh, I I read that someone just tweeted that uh, most AI AI driven companies are uh, their AI is not artificial intelligence; it's anonymous Indians. Who are, who are putting in the shift in IT here in India. And that, that cracked me up. And uh, could you could you just tell me about this whole content marketing space and uh, like how Nostra is, you know, plugging in uh, and uh, positioning itself in here? Like what exactly is the vision with Nostra? Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's a Steve Jobs quote that I come back to, which is content is king. So we're talking about the guy who invented all of these different amazing gadgets and devices. But what he was saying at the end of the day, what is the most important thing for a business is the content that they produce. Because, right. you know, at the end of the day, that's that's who they are. That's, you know, who stands with Apple, X, Y, and Z stands with Apple. Um, and so what we do at Nostra is we allow you to, as a marketer, create a lot of different variations of content. So you can create five different images for your website, three different calls to action, four different customer testimonials, five different headlines, et cetera. Then based on who's visiting the website, in real time, what we'll do is we'll say, all right, based on who's visiting this website, we'll determine, all right, RAO will say, we should show image three, customer testimonial four, headline seven, call to action three. And then what we'll do is we'll build and display that website to the person you know, in 50 to 250 milliseconds. Um, And that's that. So essentially you as a marketer uh, can, you know, test out different things that you don't know will work and what won't work. Um, And, you know, really create a lot of content and spend your time focused on, hey, maybe a customer will like this. Let's build it rather than spending your time on, oh, let me test, test, test. We can automate all the testing, show the right variation of, content, the right combination of content to the right visitor at the right time. Wow. That makes sense. And that's, that's like super cool stuff. Do you, do you believe that uh, the experience that you had with uh, 
and with your work experience previously before nostra uh helped you in this because uh, like i remember talking to someone like you know through this podcast only it was episode 17 uh, i guess so we talked about marketing uh he's also he he's like the founder of digital marketing an institute of digital marketing here in india it's the it's an online institute and he talked to me about consumer psychology consumer behavior how that is like centric uh to to anywhere sales and marketing so having all that experience and uh, trying out uh, your personal take on actually selling and you know being on the buying side as you mentioned in your second work experience did that help you take a take a good guess on consumer psychology or did you have to go out and study it comprehensively and you know picking out books and going through podcasts and things in general to understand how does a consumer think yeah well i think the core thesis that i actually have is i don't know how consumers think and okay. that will let ai decide Um, okay. So when I did all my research, it's, you know, it's, there's no one in the background. There aren't any anonymous Indians just deciding <laughs> what's being shown to who based yeah. on my playbook. Yeah. It's simply, we use, let, we let data decide what, what consumers think, wow. um, which is, which is where I think it's more powerful because you know, a lot of times people kind of get into this, this idea and this the theory that they know what's best and that they can just kind of think their way out of a box. Hmm. I'm more of a believer in the idea that hey, I don't know the best way out of each box. Let's uh, <laughs> let's let's come up with the most scientifically rigorous and um statistically proven way to get out of the box and then let's press go and figure it out that way rather than being reliant on a 26-year-old performance marketer who just has a feeling. Like that's not really right. a good idea in my opinion. Um but when it comes to selling to organizations yeah my time selling you know previously at um you know other companies as well as my time buying is you know was invaluable in understanding all right you know these are what buy signals look like these are what sell signals look like etc do you think you know, i i have to ask you this question because uh this classic debate of ai versus human then you very I don't know. You very comprehensively pointed this out that uh, is this something that a human should do, or is this something that could be you know automated with programs and AI? But do you think that this this stuff that you just said you you put out a performance marketer out of job, a twenty six year old who maybe graduated from a good college and he he had aspirations of I'll do this in marketing and that. So now he views Arthur Root as uh, as a sci fi. Uh, you know evil cop ceo is that is that something that you're trying uh, trying to generate here or what's your take on this whole uh, classic ai versus humans you know eating out jobs debate yeah i think it's kind of funny um because like no we didn't put the 26 year old performance marketer out of a job we just <laughs> repurposed his job right so before he was spending his time running ev tests and seeing you know okay is this performing better than that and part of you know part of his time was doing that and part of his time was creating copy and you know images i don't know anybody from my background um that you know studied marketing and then wanted to go run a bunch of ab tests right. you know people who i know who study marketing are super creative and you know people and want to spend their time coming up with these customer journeys and this amazing content and so what we're doing is we're enabling you know those those marketers and those entrepreneurs 
to create the future, to spend their time thinking about what could they possibly build and how could it possibly work rather than spending their time um, rather than spending their time kind of looking at me and twiddling, you know, rather than, you know, running, you know, AB tests and doing, you know, kind of mindless tasks. And right. so, yes, there will be some marketers who are displaced, yeah. um, but the, the, what we're actually really allowing marketers to do is to get back to the fundamentals of what, why they went into the business. Hmm. That's right. That sounds right. And I also believe that, uh, that AI or, you know, whenever a displacement in jobs happens, like people often talk about cars, putting horse, uh, horse riding, what do you call them? A cart, you know, the people who drove the carts, they put them out of business. Well, did they, or, or did they just repurpose their task to now driving automobiles? So I think that's, that's like a more intelligent take on it. Do you think that, uh, and I read this tweet on uh, one of your tweets that, uh, being an entrepreneur is sometimes I'm doing an Excel sheet thing. Sometimes I'm, I'm hiring a person and sometimes I'm being BHR. Sometimes I'm being this, I'm sometimes I'm being that you think you are, you are a, like a good generalist in those terms and you enjoy those tasks or sometimes it does get overwhelming and you feel, ah, uh, if I could just go back to my old job. <laughs> no, I love it. Um, what I like to, to find is people who are smarter than me, Right. any given thing and trying to surround myself with them. Right. Um, and so, yes, early on, it's like, all right, I got to file taxes, do X, Y, and Z, you know, build technology, you know, be on the product team, be on the sales team, be on the marketing team, et cetera, or be the marketing team, be the sales team. If yeah. Back in day one. Um, but as you grow, it becomes cool because you end up getting to look at these people and you, you know, I just hired, a, you know, someone and it's like, wow, this person literally like, I don't have, like, I can check in, you know, ask questions, do my job as a CEO, but now I don't have to, you know, actually go and run all these campaigns or I don't have to go and write this code right. or whatever it is. Um, and so, you know, I think that the, the sign of a good entrepreneur or even just a good leader in general is when they can surround themselves with people who are far more competent than they are at any given task. Um, yeah. And so that they have the right person doing the task, not them doing the task. And that's a transition that not everyone's able to make. Um, and so it's, it's, it's something that as a leader, I'm always looking out for. Uh, with other leaders in my business to, to say, hey, who's surrounding themselves with the smartest people? How are they doing that? Um, how are they, you know, helping to, you know, mentor people? How are those people doing? What are they seeing about their leader, et cetera? That's, that's the sign of a good leader, which is when they're like, hey, look, the people that they hired are so smart. They make this guy look amazing. <laughs> Um, that, you know, but if they're not willing to surround themselves with the smartest people, they really don't really have a place at, um, you know, at a business and in a leadership role. And that is mostly because you won't be the best at everything and you have to accept that. I, I think sometimes what happens is people try to cling on to a certain department that they were maybe good at when, when they were starting out and, you know, it feels like an ego death to them, like, 
do i have to give this up you know i do i i am the ceo are you are you sure that you're better than this at me and i think that's that's like kind of a cynical game that you get into and you end up hurting yourself only do you yeah. think about uh, do you think like uh, now it's very cool I, i don't know if you'll agree with me on this but uh, i see people all around uh, especially in india I, i just feel that this this is like a new age of startups and people raising financing and vc culture in general do you think uh, most people or like the intention that many people have like starting out with a product or a service or whatever now i see that there's an inclination towards raising of funding is more important than whatever they're trying to build and sometimes our people are just targeting to you know we raise this much amount of funds and then we move to series a series b whatever so is that the right approach is is that is that something that people should be looking out for or what's what's like a good way to approach uh, this whole world of financing your startups in general sure yeah well there there are a lot of different things here um you know number one is to determine if you're building a venture business or not you know a lot of companies are not venture businesses and quite frankly that might be the the preferred route for them and there's nothing wrong with that and actually it's probably a better lifestyle you have less pressure you probably are building a venture business if there's a potential for the company to be worth over a billion dollars okay. and it's a big market and if you don't raise money your competitor probably will Um because if you're in the world where you want to build a bootstrapped company but all your competitors are raising tens of hundreds of millions of dollars you're probably not going to win because yeah. they just have a huge war chest. So step number 1 is to determine if you are a venture business. And if you aren't, don't raise a bunch of venture money because then you're going to have unrealistic expectations for the business and it's just not going to it's just not going to be a good fit for anyone. if you are raising a, a venture if you are building a venture business you know the, there's a saying that just you don't there's no value created by fundraising um it's okay. a necessary you know it's something that's necessary you know you yeah. have to scale your business you have to attract investors you have to hit milestones and you have to build quickly but you know you there's no value that you're you know when when you get that term sheet at a billion dollar valuation you're not creating value for the business when you're when you're creating so it's it's kind of a a fine line to walk which is you do need to inspire confidence and having an extra 10 million dollars when you're a seed stage business <laughs> is very valuable like yeah like that is a very that that is a war chest that is something that is extremely valuable but you know you also have to be conscious that you know if you raise too much money too early on then you kind of end up in the situation where your valuation is so high so you know let's say you raise at a, a 500 million dollar valuation for your first fundraise yeah when you're you know when people are investing at a billion dollar valuation or a 5 billion dollar valuation you better have 100 million or 200 300 million dollars in revenue mm-hmm. and quite frankly you usually have 18 to 24 months to get there So if oh, you raise your first okay. round at a $500 million valuation and you raise $50 million, somehow you've got to figure out how to get to $50 million in revenue within 24 months um, mm-hmm. in order to continue to withstand that valuation, especially if the market turns. So you end up in these awkward uh, positions when you raise too much money too early at too high of a valuation that end up, you know, it hurts the entrepreneur a little bit. 
doesn't hurt the investors that much, but it really hurts the employees at the business. So you have to, you know, manage expectations, um, you know, because their options are tied to that valuation and, you know, along those lines. Do you think like you've had this experience of uh, being in this space and uh, do you think that why, why is this like, I'm, I'm intrigued by this idea. Like what, what do you feel is the intent behind raising money too quickly? Like people, once they identify that maybe they could be a venture business, let's say. So one thing could be like, okay, my, my competitors could be raising money faster and they could, you know, scale at a faster rate. But, uh, like what do you feel is one thing that most people do end up miss out missing out on like uh, raising funds they are they're in a hurry so are there some markers that people can identify okay you know if i'm thinking in this direction it could probably not the not be the right path on, on raising funds yeah so when you're a pre-seed you know really it's just a, a good founder with a decent idea that's what you're looking at um, right when you're getting to your seed, and I'm not sure what the comps are in India, uh, mm-hmm. but when you're getting to a seed, it's like, all right, you've got a couple customers that kind of like kind of like it. You know, maybe they're paying, maybe they're not, but there's something there, and clearly people think it's an interesting concept. Okay. And then when you get to the Series A, it's like we have we have product market fit, so people are willing to pay us for our software. They stick with it, and they think that it's a very valuable piece of software for the business. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the old days, it used to be that you'd be at a million dollars in annual recurring revenue if you were a SaaS business. Yep. Um, I'm not sure, you know, that number, you know, in this fundraising climate, that number has been far lower. I think when the climate turns, it'll be a little bit higher. Right. Um, so, but generally the the rule of thumb is like, you know, you have product market fit, people are going to pay for it. And it's, it's starting to look like a real business. Yeah. yeah. And then when you get you know, to the growth stages, it's, you know, people are valuing you based on your revenue um, and your, you know, you get good multiples and it's how fast are you growing? I think uh, I personally got this introduction to financing and this whole invest investing in businesses uh, world through Shark Tank. And I, I used to watch uh, Shark Tank as a kid and now, and now they've made this, uh, now they've made this Shark Tank version in India as well. So this season it premiered and uh, people were just going crazy. And, you know, this was the first time that they made something like this uh, and people really liked it. And, and it kind of, you know, fascinates me that now, once you, once you put topics like these into forms of entertainment, then it kind of strikes a balance in entertaining people and also educating them. Like people are now talking about equity and, you know, how much, uh, what is, let's say, a good amount of revenue before you look for financing and things like that. So, so what, what was your introduction to this world? Like, did you also uh, start with Shark Tank or were were you into books and all of that? No, I, um, I grew up in Silicon Valley, so I was always kind of aware about, you know, fundraising and, you know, quite frankly, when you watch Shark Tank, you know, I've seen a couple episodes. I have a friend who's been on it they give like just awful terms. Like <laughs> they're just like predatory um, <laughs> sharks. I mean, I guess that's the way. So I think good entrepreneurs who, yeah. you know, they're like, why would I like, it's like, if you don't have to go and give up 20% of your business for a hundred thousand dollars, like, why would you go do that? <laughs> uh, 
when you could go to a venture capitalist and give up 20% of your business for $3 million. Right. Um, you're like, why would I, like, how helpful <laughs> is Mark Cuban really going to be? Like, not really true. that helpful. Um, yeah. So they have awful terms. I don't know what Shark Tank can be <laughs> is like, but something tells me that they probably are equally as aggressive. Um, with that said, a lot of the businesses aren't venture businesses, so they right. don't demand venture valuations. Yeah. Um, and so there is a, you know, some businesses, they need, you know, a $250,000 cash injection to get started and then they're profitable. They're not going to be a billion dollar company in three years, but they're going to be profitable and they're going to generate returns for their investors. And, you know, in order for those returns to be substantial, the investor needs to own a significant portion of the business. Hmm. So, you know, if you're not building a venture backed business, I get it. Um, if you are building a venture backed business, it just makes no sense. Don't go to Shark Tank. That's, that's Arthur's advice to you. <laughs> But yeah, and that's easier for me to say, kind of having yeah. the Silicon Valley in me. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, there's a saying, which is allocation is measured in percentage and success is measured in multiples. And so well, if you give up 20% yeah. of your business, but you build a big business, you're not, you're going to be able to sleep pretty well at night. Yeah. <laughs> but if you own hundred percent of nothing, who cares? That's right. Let me, uh, let me just wrap this conversation up and you know, it was, it was so, uh, this is what I like about podcasts in general, man. And we were talking about uh, before recording this, that you also ended up starting a podcast to get to know more about the whole marketing space. And uh, that's how you led to Nostra. And so like during this conversation also, I got to know so much about things and which would have maybe took me a lot of time reading and researching on the internet. And sometimes through these conversations, you just can ask questions that you can't find on the internet as clearly and you can't find answers to them as personalized as you could maybe in a real human to human conversation. So that that's, that's like my whole appreciation of the podcasting space in general. Let me know your views on this whole web three world that is popping up. Do you, do you, because you are, you, you have a background in Silicon Valley and you certainly are in the tech industry. I want to know, is this, what, what is this? Is this, is this a bubble? Is this something that's huge? Is this the future? Is metaverse? What, what is it? Like, I, I don't know anything about it. What are, I know NFTs, I know cryptocurrencies and all of that, but are we, are we really going into that direction? That's what I want to know. You know, that's a question that everybody wants to know the answer to. And I don't, you know, quite frankly, I'm not the, the right guy to know about that topic. Yeah. My understanding, um, is it's, you know, it's hot. People like it. Um, there was just a recent correction, it seems like, but it's still, there's a lot of money flowing into the war, into this industry. People are saying that it reminds them of the internet. Yeah. Now, yeah, if you yeah. Remember the internet had a bubble. Yeah. Now, I don't know what would have happened if you had invested in, you know, the NASDAQ at the top of the bubble probably would still do all right. Cause you would have owned Apple, Amazon, Netflix, et cetera. Now yeah. you also would have lost 80% of your companies and that's kind of the venture model, which is like, you know, most of these companies will not succeed, period. Mm -hmm. That's what you're expecting as a venture capitalist. Yeah. Um, with that said, a couple of these companies will be huge and, you know, those will create outsized returns for investors. Um, and if you're an employee at one of those companies and it becomes huge or you're a founder, you will do incredibly well. Yeah. Um, 
So that's kind of what I see um, as kind of where, where things are. I'm always a, you know, when I think about crypto and Web3 versus kind of the, you know, two of the hottest markets, in my opinion, are, you know, AI and Web3. Yeah. And I, I kind of decided to spend my time in the AI world because it's a sure bet that AI, like, I don't think there's a single person in the world that will ever argue that AI is going anywhere. Like, it just isn't. Like, people yeah, just know that's AI can be part of everything. Yeah. There's still this question mark on Web3. Mm. Um, I, you know, it seems to be that it is, but it's also not a hundred percent clear. Um, right. so that's kind of where we are, um, in my opinion, when it comes to, uh, web three and, and crypto. Um, so I think it, it, from my understanding it is, but it's also just not my field of expertise. Mm. Um, I've got a lot of really, really smart friends who, you know, say, Hey, this is it, Arthur, you got to get in on it. <laughs> um, but it's, it's, I, I can't go into the details, if you will, because it's just it's not what I know. And that's uh, and that's the point where Arthur tries to diplomatically slip out of the conversation, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, guys, that's great. You know, I, I will I will I will do some research on it, and I'll get back to you. I think that's uh, that's what you do. Uh, it's been it's been awesome, man. It's been talking to you has been awesome. I think that what I should do is like uh, since you are in this AI space, and I would love to whatever is the fate of this podcast, you know, just reconnecting with you in the next three years or, you know, where, where are things now? And, you know, what's, what's up with the AI and web three space, then let's figure this bubble out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, let me, let me know how I can be helpful. I'm always around to be, to, yeah. to, to help and do whatever I can and, you know, love to stay in contact and, and go yeah. from there. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Thank you so much, Arthur, for taking this, taking the time out to do this, man. It was really, really amazing talking to you. All right. That sounds good. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. And this brings us to the end of this really awesome episode of the most serious podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it did add some value in your life. We will be back again with another interesting conversation pretty soon.